Welcome to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, a view of culture, current events, and politics through a biblical lens, with your hosts, Neil Boron, Bob Duco, Roger Marsh, and John Rush. Now let's join the conversation. Happy to be back with you folks for another week of the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast with Neil and John, myself, Bob, Roger Marsh, not with us this week. We'll have uh, Roger Marsh back with us next week from out there in the People's Republic of California. Uh, But this week, we're going to talk about everything going on with gas prices, the energy issue, uh, inflation, of course, the connection to Russia and Ukraine and all of that. So we got a lot of things to... Bob, where did COVID go? Oh, oh, that's right. Well, what happened? COVID, COVID doesn't. Uh, you know, when gas prices are going up and there's other things to focus on, then suddenly COVID isn't uh, dangerous anymore. Oh, I see. Okay, just so just sure. just so you understand. Okay. Yeah, right, All right. right. I mean, also, sure. remember, masks are only necessary when you're on camera because when you're not on camera and you don't real, you know, you don't know that people aren't seeing you, then you can take your mask off, whether you're at a sporting event or whatever, because then COVID droplets know not to get in. Okay. Just so you know. It, Thanks for it's, the it's, instructions. I well, you know what? Hey, look, you've got to follow the science, okay? okay. You've got to follow the got science, it. all right? Come on. Thank you. Anyway, so uh, gas prices. First of all, here we go. The uh, gas price now, we've broken all-time record. The uh, Back in 2008 was the all-time record for gas prices as an average in America of just over 4.10 a gallon. Well, we have busted through that, and so now here we are in uncharted territory, the highest gas prices ever in the history of America. And just as a reminder, Donald Trump Right before the election, the day before the election in 2020, Donald Trump was mocked in the media and by the news for saying that if Joe Biden were to get elected, we would see $7 a gas uh, gasoline prices in this country. Well, here we are. It only took Joe Biden about a year, and we've already busted clearly past $7 in California. And now we're at an all-time record of in the four teens somewhere around the rest of the country. So this is a serious issue. Let's start, first of all, with just the the reality of gas prices. And and maybe, uh, John, we could start with you because I know that we're going to be talking about a lot of different aspects here, Russia, Ukraine, energy independence. There are many different things for us to discuss. But just in a practical sense, uh, this is a serious thing. I mean, people are paying 65% more Mm. to fill up their tank than they were just a year ago. Uh, And this devastates poor and lower income Americans more than it does anybody else in this country. So, I mean, this is a serious issue. Can't just blow it off. Correct. No, it, 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 last time this happened, by the way, to refresh everybody's memory, not to be a, a downer, but it threw us into a recession under George Bush. Uh, there's lots of things we'll talk about today in regards to, you know, what could be done to relieve some of this. And, and frankly, Bob, and I'll, I'll say it straight up right now, this is part of the plan. You're not going to see any relief from this administration because they don't want it. And if anybody thinks for one second they're on the side of the little guy, this in and of itself proves they are not. They are absolutely not. That's right. Neil, what are some of your thoughts just immediately on gasoline getting this expensive right now? By the way, it's not just gas, too. But People are looking at their heating bills through Everything, the winter. Everything, Bob. Everything. It's like, oh, my goodness. I know, because uh, trust me, we're going to broaden this discussion into general inflation as well. But just the, the, the issue of energy, what people are uh, paying right now to heat their homes in the winter, not to mention just fill up their tanks, this is genuine pain people are feeling. Neil. 
Yeah, no doubt. I'm I'm so old, Bob. I actually remember when gas was 23 cents a gallon. Uh, <laughs> some of you guys, I don't know if you remember anything of the sort, but here in New York State, it was 23 cents a gallon when I was a kid. That's wow. the uh, lowest I remember, but I actually saw it jump last week 40 cents in one day. Mm. Um, and then yesterday it was back up again. We're yeah. at like 4.49 per gallon around where I live. And it's a little less in certain areas, but uh, yeah, it's it, we're everybody's feeling the pinch. I just want to I want to clarify one thing. I think obviously we're all going to be affected by the prices, but I actually think that the poor will do better than the relatively poor. The reason I say that is that the the very poor, the homeless, and others who you know have been living off government subsidies really don't own vehicles, so they're not going to feel it per se. But I think it's the lower middle class that's really going to be most affected by this because they're the ones who can't rub two nickels together to use a familiar term and you know uh, the ultra rich are hardly going to be affected at all um, except maybe in their investments but you know the reality is this thing is going to affect all of us and we're going to have to find a way to deal with it and I know that's what we're going to be talking about today sure well and, and by the way yeah I'm glad you clarified that because yes when I say the poor I'm not talking about the homeless and the absolute poorest of the poor of the poor that are just living off the government. Now, I'm talking about people that are kind of lower income people. They're 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 driving to work. They're they're struggling financially to get by. Right. Uh, you know these types of folks. But you know it, it. This is a big hit on them, which then begs the question: How do we get into this mess, uh, John? What are your thoughts and analysis for how? And, and I don't I don't mind telling you right now. I put a lot of this on on the at the feet of. Joe Biden and oh, the yes. Democrats, quite frankly. All but of it. H- how do we get into this mess? I'll, in I'll, put, it, I'll put it all there. Um, and for those of you listening, where when I said a moment ago, this is proof that this administration doesn't care anything about any of you, by the way, other than maybe the elites, to, to Neil's point, where you know this doesn't affect them. And, and by the way, most of the people, not all, but the majority of people that are making decisions on all of what's happening in this regard probably haven't bought a gallon of gas in 30 plus years. So everybody needs to remember that as well. These are people that this does not affect one way, shape at all, period, doesn't affect them. Bob, one thing the president could do immediately, stroke of a pen, Everybody listen to me when I say this. He could change fuel prices 40 to 50 cents a gallon overnight by just making two to three blends of gasoline across the country the standard. Right now, we have about 25 different blends because that's what the EPA requires across the country. He could literally overnight, George Bush did this back when we had the $4 a gallon gasoline back before the last recession or the big recession, I should say. He could do the same thing right now if he wanted to. I'll tell you right now, he doesn't care about anybody that lives in the United States of America, because if he did, he would have done that already. Hmm. All right. So, uh, you know what? I I could not agree with you more in that. Neil, what do you think? How how'd we get into this mess? It, it obviously didn't happen overnight. Um, so it's probably not going to be actually. Actually, it did. Neil, well, I'll, I'll, this is where I'll disagree. It actually did happen overnight. Th- these were policies that were instituted the very day Joe Biden took office, and it literally changed our oil market overnight. One yeah, day. But I, okay, but what I'm saying is going back 40, 50, 60 years, is there any reason why the U.S. hasn't been energy independent all along? Why, why would we need to even be thinking about it at this point? Well, so we they, were at one point, and Joe changed that. Yeah, uh, and... That's the problem. To, okay, but it's time to change it back, and I don't know that anything's going to fix it overnight. I mean, the reality is, um, 
we get we're in a mess now. And I don't actually, know you could fix it overnight. That's again, well, that's this. And John, I'll tell the, you, I'll tell you guys uh, how. All Joe has to do is put confidence back into the oil companies that we are behind you. We have your backs. We're going to open up drilling. We're going to open up more leases that you can actually drill on, not leases that have all these strings attached, but actually let you guys go drill for oil. If he would do that tonight, the price of gasoline would be down tomorrow. Well, obviously, based on people's confidence and their feelings, and it's going to affect the stock market and all that, but the actual production is going to take a while. No, it doesn't. That, that's, that's the misconception also that's out there. Production could go up almost immediately if the confidence of the oil companies, especially those that drill and finish wells off, if they knew and they could go back to their investors and say, the White House has our back now, we're ready to go, we can open up a lot more wells, we can actually take all of this money that we're making now in profits and reinvest it back into what we're doing, they would do it overnight. And they've, they've said this actually. The, the right. you know, Devon Corporation, which is one of the major drillers in this country, said the Biden administration hasn't contacted them once to figure out how to get more oil out of U.S. soil. So, so Neil, yes, they could change this literally overnight, and they will. They, 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 actually, they actually have a lot of cap wells, and it doesn't take uh, That's a long right. time at all to uncap wells. Wells, okay? What you do is you, <laughs> you, you, you tell uh, – uncap whales. I know no wells. Uh, <laughs> no, what you do is you uncap a lot of them, and you uh, invite back a lot of the work. You, you increase your workforce dramatically, and you instantly start uh, producing more oil. Oil, but Correct. If you, so, so this is something that could be done uh, fairly quickly. And, and I'll and, tell you something. And real quick, okay. the reason I want to say that is because the misconception is, Neil, what you just said, and that's what I think a lot of folks, even conservatives, think. The reality is, no, you literally, as President of the United States, could change all of this in 24 hours if you wanted to. But that means he's got to take on AOC, Al that's Gore, right. the squad, that's and all right. the rest of them. And that's who the new Democratic Party is, and that's who his puppeteers are. I'll tell you what, let's let's do this real quick, because, Neil, I want to give you a chance to respond, but we got to take a short break. We'll pick it up from they're next here on the National Crawford Roundtable. Be transformed by the Word of God with Alistair Begg and Truth for Life. Every weekday, Alistair Begg teaches the Bible verse by verse through in-depth attention to the Word of God. You can listen to Truth for Life on many Crawford radio stations or listen online at truthforlife.org. Please support this important ministry with your donations at truthforlife.org or by calling 888-588-7884 and be sure to let them know you heard about Truth for Life from the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Continuing the National Crawford Roundtable podcast with Neil Boron. Neil Boron live out of Buffalo, New York. John Rush, Rush to Reason, Denver, Colorado. Myself, Bob Duco out of Detroit. Uh, Roger Marsh going to be back with us next week. We're talking about, of course, energy, prices, gas. And uh, Neil, want to give you a fair chance to respond to what uh, John was saying about, hey, look, we really can up production a lot faster than people are assuming. We're being told by the mainstream media and by Jen Psaki and everybody else, no, this is a long, multi-year process to actually make a difference. John is pointing out, no, there are, if, the, if the oil companies realize the government's got our back, we can feel confident uncapping a bunch of wells, bringing a bunch of people back and increasing production and not having it blow up in our face. Uh, and so, Neil, want to give you a fair chance to respond to what John was saying there. All right, number one, uh, I'm going to be voting for John Rush in 2024. just want everybody to know that. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Thank, you. Run, Thank you very that's much. Right. Run, John, run. <laughs> You know, what you say makes a lot of sense, but but on the flip side, let me ask a question. Because if what you're saying is true, and John, you're a tremendously uh, bright individual, 
Are we saying then that, that Republicans and conservatives in Congress know this and are complicit? Because how come no one's saying what you're saying? And by the way, I'm not disagreeing with you. If what you're saying is true, then let's pray that that happens. Let's see the price of oil come down overnight. But why are we not hearing about that from conservatives on a more consistent basis? I think yeah. it's I think it's twofold. One, I think some of them are as much a part of the problem as what the Democrats are, and I mean that sincerely. I mean, again, some of these guys haven't bought a gallon of gas in 40 years, and I mean that. It's the truth. They haven't. So they really don't understand what even goes on on that level. A lot of them don't even understand what goes on in the oil fields, in the production, in in the R&D side of the fence. These are guys that, frankly, they may know politics, but they're ignorant in a lot of other areas. And guys, I can say that in full confidence, because Bob, you, Neil, myself, I've interviewed some of these people over the years. No offense, they're not the brightest guys on the planet. And I'll say that in full confidence. Some of them are. There are some very, very bright individuals there. But there's some other ones that are really good at running campaigns, but they don't know a lot about a lot of other things going on in life. And I can tell you one thing, they don't know a lot about this particular area. The other thing, too, that I want to make sure I mention is all of the comments you hear from Jen Psaki. They are out-and-out lies. They are fabrications. They are talking points. When you hear Jen Psaki say, well, we've handed out 2,500 permits this year under Joe Biden, yeah, with a lot of strings attached that still don't give any confidence in the oil companies to go fulfill any of those leases. So those leases are meaningless until you back them up with the full force of the government behind them saying, we back you guys in producing oil so we can get this country back on track. That's the problem we've got right now. This administration isn't going to fix that because frankly, guys, they don't want to. The other thing, too, for everybody listening, go look up Agenda 21 under the UN. And a lot of Republicans, by the way, believe in Agenda 21. Agenda 21 is population control. And I'll tell you right now, all of these gas prices and what the current administration is doing is about one word and one word only. It's called control. Same thing that happened with COVID. Same thing happening now with gas prices. Hmm. You know, I, uh, I, I look at this, everything going on, even if even if we look at this in a macro policy viewpoint instead of the immediate things that can be done right now, which, John, I totally agree with you. But even but looking at this in a macro policy kind of thing, Joe Biden got in office and he said, we're going to kill the Keystone Pipeline deal. All right. Uh, yep. While, we're, while I'm going to green light Nord Stream 2. Right. So That's Nord right. Stream 2. So, so I'll approve Putin's pipeline, but I won't approve the U.S. pipeline from Canada, which I guess I'm trying to understand uh, why is it that our pipeline here in uh, the United States would somehow hurt global warming in the environment, but what, uh, natural gas from Russia to Germany would not? So I guess global warming, the principles don't apply over there. Okay, this is absolute nonsense. So he uh, approves Putin's but disapproves ours, uh, then says, well, we're not going to drill in Anwar. We're not going to do offshore drilling. We're not going to increase the oil leases. Okay, Colorado shale, all of the opportunities we have to tap into our own energy resources. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to go back to buying from other people. And now, look where we are. We're we're talking to Venezuela going, can we please buy some oil from you? Okay, we're even talking about going to Iran uh, on our knees and trying to get oil from Iran. We're already on our knees going to OPEC. Please, could you increase production? Because we Which, don't by the enough. way, they will be increasing next month anyways. 
Yeah, and, and you know something? And then on top of that, we have our European allies who are beholden to Russia, beholden yep. to Vladimir Putin. They get over 40% of their energy in European nations from Russia. So Joe Biden gave the leverage for energy back to Vladimir Putin that Donald Trump took away from Putin. Because here's the thing. Look, we've been buying We've been buying energy, but we buy oil and gas from Russia. We have for a long time. You know, okay, fine. But we didn't buy as much. And here's the thing. Uh, If Trump were in the White House, uh, Trump could say to Putin, if we had energy independence, uh, the first time I see one troop of yours get anywhere near the border of Ukraine, then I'm shutting off. We're not going to buy another drop from you. So, Yeah, we'll cut you off right now. And I think that that would have worked. Well, furthermore, Bob, he wouldn't, you know, the prices wouldn't be where they're at today. We've talked about this in several weeks now, but the prices wouldn't be where they're at. He wouldn't have the reserves to even be doing what he's doing right now if it Mm. weren't for what's happened in the past. That's right. That's right. Because Putin wouldn't be Putin would still be collecting forty some dollars a barrel. He wouldn't be collecting a hundred and ten, hundred twenty, hundred thirty dollars a barrel. But we could, if we were energy independent, we could say to Vladimir Putin, you know something, we'll cut you off, and it's not going to hurt us at all. And as far as our European allies. Don't worry about it. You don't have to be dependent on Putin. You can buy our access, or our excess uh, right. oil and gas. You buy it from us. We've got enough to go around. This is something, and, and and John, it just it drives me nuts. People don't realize this. They think that all of the oil and gas in the world is in Saudi Arabia or nope. Russia or Venezuela. And it's like, guess what? We are sitting on more of it than anybody else in That's the right. world, and we're just letting it That's gather right. dust underground because of the environmentalists. It makes my eye twitch, I'm telling right. you. It does, no, and the only difference for everybody listening is, yes, the Saudis have a much easier access to their oil than we do, but the reserves, Bob, you are correct. We have as much reserves here in the United States of America as they do. Ours is just harder to get to, but with technologies and the advancements of in the past you know, 30, 40 years, it's becoming much, much easier for, for us to get to those pockets, and we have a ton of it. One thing I said earlier, I want to make sure that I mentioned, too, that maybe we could even come back and talk about, Bob, is... Is OPEC will be, and my this is a prediction of mine, in the next couple of weeks, by the 1st of April, I believe, they will be producing more oil. They haven't been. Has nothing to do with Joe Biden, by the way. This is a deal Donald Trump put together with OPEC back in March of 2020 when he was trying to protect our drillers and our oil companies here in the United mm-hmm. States of America because OPEC was trying to put those guys out of business. He put a deal together with OPEC to limit the amount of production they would make every single day. That deal, and they've honored that deal, by the way, and it's kind of kind of, a, of a of a surprise, I think, to a lot of people that they actually honored the deal Donald Trump put together, but they have, and, and trust me, OPEC doesn't like the volatility in the market any more than we do. I know that sounds weird to a lot of people, but really, they don't like the volatility. They know that the higher the price of oil, the more competition they end up with, and they hate right. that competition. So they would like to see oil back down to, you know, $80, $90 a barrel, maybe even 100 at, at most, but they want to see the volatility go away. I do believe, despite Joe Biden, they will start pumping more oil and delivering it as of uh, probably this time next month. Yeah. Okay, wait, let me, let me jump in because I've got a question. John, I'm not disagreeing with what you said earlier, but I think there's an awful lot of people scratching their heads because if what you say is true, then how is it possible, you know, during the 1970s alleged oil crisis, and I remember um, 
That was an embargo. That was a different situation because of the Israeli-Arab war. We were not going to buy any oil from the Arabs because we were on Israeli on the Israeli side, and that's what created that issue back in the 70s. This is totally different. Okay, but I remember seeing the oil sheiks or sheiks or however you pronounce it riding sheiks. around in their billion-dollar yachts. You know, they like, still do. Yeah, okay, but why, why did we ever need their oil in the first place if energy we did, We didn't have the technology back in the 70s to pull the oil out of the ground like we do today. You know, that was, you know, back right. in the 70s. What was that, 50 years ago, roughly? Uh, we have learned a lot about how to get oil through, by the way, fracking. Uh, we've learned how to get oil out of out of rock that we would have never been able to get to back in that time frame, Neil. Right. And so that's what's changed between then and now. Okay, I'm not in any way defending Joe Biden on this, but what I'm saying is I believe that there's a whole bunch of people getting their pockets lined, and that's why we're in the situation we're in. Joe Biden is cooperating with that process, apparently, um, but the reality is... This should have been when, when when the embargo happened in the 1970s. We should have been asking questions. Hey, are we sitting on the largest oil reserves in the world? Like Bob just said, what can we do to be energy independent so we don't even have to deal with this kind of stuff? Why weren't well, those decisions and, and made? Well, again, that that all comes back down to the political nature of who's in charge. Honestly, whether it's you know a Ronald Reagan or a Bill Clinton, I mean that's really what what happens. And and this is the part that I don't think most Americans realize: the oil companies. That, you know, they change a lot because they have to answer to their investors. The oil companies are very, as we all know, oil is very volatile. There's swings, there's ups, there's downs, there's boom and bust. It's been the way oil's been all the way back to the John D. Rockefeller days when he invented the first pipeline, by the way, which most people don't realize. But the reality is it's a very volatile industry. Stockholders want to know that there's going to be a future for them and future returns or they're not going to continue to invest. Right now, all the profits the oil companies are making are going back to either pay off debt from the losses they had, by the way, back in 2020, where I think Exxon itself lost like $20 billion in, in, in 2020. I'd have to check that number to make sure, but it was a very, very large number that they also now have to pay back. And then their excess right now is going back to stockholders because, again, there's, there's no definitive answer from the White House as to what the future looks like. In fact, the answer is, we want green energy, which doesn't exist, but we want green energy only. We don't care anything about your oil. That's the message yeah. they're getting from the White House. Right, and we're going to be talking about that green I'll tell you what, let's do this, Neil, because I want to give you a chance to respond. But a quick break, and we'll pick it up from there next on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Dr. James Dobson left a successful career in academia to preserve and promote the biblical family in America. The radio broadcasting ministry of Dr. Dobson spans over four decades, earning him 17 honorary doctorate degrees and an induction into the National Radio Hall of Fame. Today, Dr. Dobson continues to champion marriage and parenthood through Family Talk. Listen every weekday at drjamesdobson.org and be sure to reference the National Crawford Roundtable podcast when asked how you listen to Family Talk. Continuing the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, John Rush, Neil Boron, Bob Duco, uh, Roger Marsh going to be back with us next week. Okay, uh, Neil, yeah, this is great. I feel like I'm at a tennis match here uh, between uh, between <laughs> you and John. I know, no, it is. But uh, Neil, your thoughts on what uh, what John was saying? No, I. I... I basically agree with what he's saying along those lines. I'm just I'm of the mindset that there are an awful lot of people getting their pockets lined by these kinds of decisions. That it really doesn't boil down to just Joe Biden deciding to be Joe Biden today. Uh, so I think it's more complicated. That's all I'm trying to really well. Make that it point. is. I, it is, and it isn't. I mean, yes, is it very complicated? All the different facets of the oil world, and everybody around the world, by the way, uses oil. Not just the United States of America. We use for everybody out there. Uh, most people don't know these numbers, but we use about 20 million, roughly 20 million barrels a day. 
Not a month, not a year, right. a day. 20 million barrels a day in the United States of America. We can produce and have produced 13 million barrels a day. We always import oil from places like Canada, Mexico, other places around the world. It's not uncommon for us to do that. And part of why we do that, by the way, for everybody listening is our refineries are set up across the country to refine certain types of oil. All oil isn't created equal. There's really nasty sulfur-ridden oil like what comes out of the tar sands in Canada, and there's really nice sweet crude that comes out of uh, us, by the way, here in the United States of America and Colorado, by the way, or Saudi Arabia. And every, every refinery is set up differently for the different types of oil that's out there, mainly because of what happened, to, to your point, Neil, all the way back in the 70s when we we weren't producing enough of our own oil. Our refineries were set up to, to handle all the different types of oil that are out there in the ground. And in turn, we do have to import certain types of oils to keep some of those refineries going because all we have in this country, for the most part, is sweet crude. And well, by the way, John, in all fairness, uh, when you point out how we in the United States go through 20 million barrels of oil a day, uh, come on, give credit where credit is due. Remember, Joe Biden did release 60 million barrels. Yes, that's okay. right, Bob. Yes, So correct. come on. Yes. Okay, yes. that's three days. Yes. Come on, okay? Yes, correct. <laughs> so. Guys, I got a quick quiz for you so All you right. can get this right. Um, John, you had mentioned, and because the Biden administration right now is saying, hey, we've handed out all these permits for drilling. How come it isn't happening at a faster pace? But all of them are wrapped in red tape. You're 100% right. I mean, there's a need to obtain leases to get onto federal land and the whole kind of thing. I mean, there's... There's, there's additional layers even so, now to those leases than what there's been in the past. And, the, and yeah. the reason I know this, because I've got a lot of friends and folks I know here in Colorado that work in the oil industry, and, and these are not just me spouting things off. These are facts. They've come with more strings attached, and they're not telling you that. Yeah. Uh, Bob, by the way, uh, uh, John is coming to us today from his bunker in a place known as Area 52, actually. Yes, <laughs> correct. <laughs> but here's my question real quick, just All for right. fun. It takes, uh, if, if you're going to produce oil and you get a permit from the federal government, it takes 140 days for the federal government to approve a drilling permit. How long does it take in the state of Texas, John? All right. And um, John, we got about 30 seconds of the break. That, you know what? Now. I don't know the answer on that one in Texas. Okay. Bob, what about you? You got a guess? Uh, I'd like a lifeline. Could I call a friend? <laughs> Probably <laughs> half that at least. Okay, it's 140 uh, I'm gonna, days. I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess less, but I don't okay, know. 140 days for the federal government to approve a drilling permit in the U.S. Two days in the state of Texas. Two days. So there doesn't go. surprise me. Well, under Trump, course, it was fast tracked as well. By the way. Right. Right. <laughs> and of course, Texas. We know that they've been in the oil drilling business for a long time. I mean, back in the 70s. Okay, a, a big focus right. was on Texas and the drilling. Right. So it doesn't surprise me that they've mainstreamed that a lot faster. And of course, John's right. Trump sped it up even that much more. But uh, more in the second half of this National Crawford Roundtable podcast as we try to solve all the problems regarding energy, gas, and everything else. Uh, you can listen to the National Crawford Roundtable podcast on your regular radio station. And if it doesn't play the second half on your regular radio station, just go online to crawfordmediagroup.net or wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. And you can watch video of this podcast at myhopenow.com. Second half coming up next. This has been a Crawford Broadcasting production.
Continuing the second half of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast with Neil Boron, Neil Boron live out of Buffalo, New York. John Rush, Rush to Reason out of Denver, Colorado. Myself, Bob Duco, Bob Duco show out of Detroit. Roger Marsh, uh, Comrade Marsh from California is going to be back with us next week. We're talking about all things energy, uh, gas prices, inflation. Uh, the whole go green movement and everything else, and how we how we handle what's uh, what's been going on right now, the insane prices that we're seeing for gas and energy and such. And so, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the. Um, oh, by by the way, before we get to the 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 green versus uh, versus uh, oil and gas. Have you guys seen John? Did you see the the video that's been going viral? That kind of flashback video of Donald Trump sitting there with NATO yep. Secretary General sure Jan Stoltenberg. Yep. Uh, that is the kind and the Germans of Germans laughing at him. By the way, oh, I know, and it's like Mike. I'm trying to imagine Joe Biden actually showing that kind of forward-thinking leadership right. to right. sit there to the face of NATO and say, you know something? You're sitting by and allowing Germany to give all this kind of leverage and power to Putin. All right, This is crazy. Uh, no, we need to blah, blah. And while he's saying that, You've got the mainstream media consistently claiming that Donald Trump is, was in Putin's back pocket and Putin had him wrapped yeah. around his finger. And it's like, yeah. are you kidding me? But yeah. I, I watched that video and it's like, that is exactly the kind of strength and leadership we need today. And of course, we're not getting anywhere close to yeah. it. Orange man, bad. Orange man, bad. Bob. I know. Everything he does. Everything. If he cured cancer, then it would be, oh, look at all the oncologists he by, put By the, the way, work. really quick. So I, nothing I just, he could do right. I have to add this because I do it. You know, every now and again, but I have to. And Neil, sorry, but I still got to add this. For all of you that voted for Donald Trump because you just thought he was too mean of a guy, think about that the next time you're pumping gas. How's that working out for you? Hey, yeah, how's you know that what? working? Uh, yeah, bottom line, I, John, I could not agree with you more. Actually, I've been saying this uh, on, on my show a lot and upsetting some people, but I don't really care. Okay, You've got 25 to 35% of people who identify themselves as born-again evangelical Christians who couldn't bring themselves to vote for Trump, actually still vote Democrat for yep. some reason because they bought into the lie That's that right. the Democratic Party is the best for the poor and, it's the, and the Republican Party's racist and blah, 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 all down the line. Uh, but this is this is absolutely ridiculous now to see the kind of suffering. This is not showing love for our neighbor when we're making our neighbor pay double for the price of gas and for their uh, heating their homes, especially when they can't afford it. So, and, and on top of that, I mean, this is going to affect every area of the economy. On top of that, we're going to see bread. You know, wheat right now has just right. shot through. The roof. Wheat prices are sky high. Fertilizer is going to be in short supply this summer. For those of you, by the way, that are looking to fertilize your yard and so on, I would go ahead and buy that now because it's not going to get any cheaper as the summer goes on. Uh, Russia right. is the fourth largest exporter of uh, fertilizer or manufacturer, I should say, of fertilizer in the world. So there, there's lots of things coming, guys, that we haven't, you know, we'll have to do future podcasts on and touch. Oil just being, you know, really the tip of the iceberg on the things this current administration, as I've said before, I'll keep saying they don't care about you at all right let's uh let's talk about the uh the the go green versus regaining energy independence as you wait, know wait, the, real quick too bob on that yeah. one i want to make sure that i say this too because i think as as words matter 
And I think as conservatives, we've got to stop using their words. It's not green. The only green energy or even close to it is nuclear energy, which they, by the way, have pretty much gone against as well. There is no such thing as green energy. There is alternative, inefficient, expensive energy. There is no such thing as green energy because you don't produce anything without oil and gas in the first place. Uh, you know what? That's actually a very fair point. It is. You're right. I, I've I've done that. I've bought into using, using their, their term. terminology. Well, guys, no, no. when Texas was in a deep freeze, the Biden administration sent gas-powered generators to Texas because you know, there was no alternative energy to make up the difference, and Texas was in a crisis during that thing. Right, right, right. So uh, here's what we're hearing pretty much from the progressive left, that we look at everything going on right now, gas prices, and, well, this just proves that we need to uh, we need to be investing all of our time and money and energy into the alternative methods, okay, and getting away from oil and gas. Pete Buttigieg, uh, yes. Secretary of Transportation. Uh, you know, if you don't like the gas prices, just go buy an electric car. Okay, guess what? The average price of an electric car in America is $55,000, right. okay? How do low-income people go out and buy an electric car? Bob, low-income uh, people that's what they're don't saying. even have the ability to put the charge stations in. I, By the way, I own one of these vehicles. For those of you out there that maybe don't know that, I did. I didn't, be, I didn't buy it because I'm some big greenie that you know wants to change the world. I did it because I'm a car guy. I want to learn about the technology. I want to learn all the ins and outs and talk to it intelligently so I know all about the EV side of it. There are pros and cons. And to your point, Bob, the reality is you have to be a middle-class American to own an EV in the first place. I could do a whole hour podcast on why that's the case. But the reality is the average American that, that is you know at the, the middle income or below range can't even and make one work for them, period. Sources say that John has a Biden-Harris bumper sticker on the back of that thing. Yeah, not a chance. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm telling you, look, it, you know, we talked about uh, Neil would vote for you for president, John. And, you know, the, the thing is, here's how you know. But I don't know if you saw this. Side note, Hillary Clinton announced that she's not running in 2024. Oh. And so it, it really boils oh, down shame. to, uh, well, you know what, you know, you know if somebody's a Hillary Clinton supporter or not, because uh, if they are, then r uh, Run Hillary Run is on the back of their car, whereas with John, Run Hillary Run bumper stickers on the front of his there car. There you go. Good so one. what does that, what does that tell you? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Good one. Oh, I know. I just get the nasty email now. You're supposed to call yourself a Christian. Blah, blah, blah. Lord help us. <laughs> I know. What am I going to uh, But what do we do, though? Uh, what do we do, uh, Neil, with this push from many on the left that are saying, "Yeah, we need to, we need to look for these alternative methods. We need to get away from oil and gas and whatever." I know John's going to have some opinions about this, definitely, and I'm very curious in a minute to get John's take on how realistic that is. Uh, but what are some of your thoughts about uh, wind and solar and and all of those types of things? I'm not against the development of alternative sources of energy. I don't know why anybody would be totally against it, but I think the reality is we've all come to realize that it's part of a bigger worldview, that this has really not anything to do with just how we power our cars or our homes. It really has to do with what kind of a worldview we're buying into. And, I mean, there are some people that have literally made a religion out of climate change and issues related to climate change. And I think we need to be super concerned about that mm -hmm. um, as believers. And we, we did the program, I don't know when it was, over a year ago on, you know, climate change and energy conservation and that kind of thing. We talked about it. But I mean, as believers, we should care about planet Earth and, and wanting to take care of it. 
but the kind of stuff that we've been fed is not accurate. Um, and I think that we need to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves on this kind of a thing. I'm, I, I think, I mean, I, I'll give you an example. Uh, this really doesn't relate directly, but I've been doing a little bit of home renovation stuff with a few friends uh, working on uh, my son's house. And, you know, there was power tools galore all over the place, but most of them were battery powered. And we were kind of grateful for that because we're, the ones that were corded, you know, we were tripping over the cords. It was a whole bunch of guys working in a small area. So there are times when you say, well, hey, you know, battery powered stuff is an advantage. And uh, I think, you know, in those kind of applications, it, it is. But the reality is, uh, if we're really hoping to do away with oil and gas, it's not going to happen because, as John said, we need it for just about everything that's produced. And uh, and I just think it's time that the American people begin to learn what's actually going on here, that this has mm-hmm. nothing to do with real climate change. It has to do with a, a worldwide agenda that's right. of control, as John that's mentioned. That's right. Right. All right, let's give John a chance to respond. We're going to take a short break first, though. More of this National Crawford Roundtable podcast coming up next. Learn how to walk the narrow path with Steve Gregg. With over 40 years of studying the Bible, Steve Gregg is passionate about teaching you how to apply scriptural wisdom to every aspect of your life. Listen to The Narrow Path on many Crawford radio stations or online at thenarrowpath.com. The Narrow Path is 100% listener supported. Please keep this vital ministry going with your generous financial support and let them know you heard about The Narrow Path on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Continuing the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, John, Neil, myself, Bob, uh, Roger will be back with us next week talking about all things energy uh, right now. Uh, so the whole global warming agenda, climate change, John, you know, that, that stuff just drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. Frankly, CO2 emissions, hey, they're great for the jungles. Notice I say jungle, not a rainforest, okay? Uh, so, so any amount of CO2 emissions that we put out in this world anyway, let's face it, we're going to get way more from that from volcanoes That's and right. cow farts. I mean, let's be honest, okay? So this is an agenda. You're right. It's a very much control-driven agenda. I do think it's a religion. I think there's a spiritual deception here at play as well. I do think there's an earth worship kind of idolatry that's grabbed a hold of people as well. Hypocrisy, and so, actually. Let's let's add that. Oh, oh well, uh, by the way, don't forget, John, these, these Hollywood gazillionaires, these are the ones that, you know, they shed an eye and reach for the Kleenex in their lip quivers mm-hmm. because of CO2 emissions while they're leaving massive carbon footprints in their mansions and their limousines and their private jets and everything right. else. Which, that's by the right. way, I don't care about yeah, their carbon either. footprint. Just don't, but just I, don't preach to me. Exactly, but don't don't sit there and give me the stink eye, That's okay? Right. Because I'm mowing my lawn on an ozone action day, That's okay? Right. But uh, right. anyway, your thoughts about renewable energies, though, and some of the alternative energies, and is that something eventually that we get to? Do we want to get to that? Is just a pipe dream? Is that stupidity? Anyway, how do we look at that going forward? I've always said that I think eventually, especially if we let the the capitalism do its thing, you'll end up with alternatives anyways, because that's just what especially we as Americans do. We will find what those other things are. Is it hydrogen? I don't believe it's wind and solar, by the way, folks. Sorry, it just isn't. Those are some of the most inefficient ways, alternatively speaking, there happens to be. This whole EV movement, uh, again, you know, back to what you said about Pete Buttigieg. These are people that, frankly, 
are clueless. Number one, they don't know anything about the vehicle. They know they don't know how they operate, and they don't understand the footprint they're leaving behind. To even generate the batteries that go in those vehicles, the child slave labor. You know, the rare earth mines are are terrible, terrible on this earth as far as the actual footprint they leave behind. It's absolutely awful. And so, if you're really, really concerned about the environment, you'd honestly would never buy an EV, knowing what I just said. The problem is all that stuff is hidden. It's sort of like the Nike tennis shoe that you see. You buy, it's nice, it's shiny, it's on the shelf, and you think, oh, great, Nike, blah, 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 blah. Little do you know, some child in, you know, wherever happened to make that tennis shoe. So, you know, the reality is it's all hidden and masked, and nobody wants to talk about the things I just said. It's it's kind of the ugly truth that nobody ever wants to bring up. Am I for alternatives? Absolutely. If they work, if they're efficient, right. and Free at market. the end of the day, they save us money, I'm absolutely in favor of them. That's, that's what it ought to be driven by, okay? Let the free market decide what actually is going to work. I couldn't care. You know what? If you want to stick those wind, big wind turbines and that ends up actually fixing everything, okay, fine. Although, not sure that that's really uh, not, the case. That's okay. uh, but, but, you know, so look, if it's nuclear power plants, okay, let's do it. I, I'm good with whatever is going to make the most sense and bring costs down. But I'm telling you right now, Neil, I am not driven by any kind of passion to protect poor Mother Earth because I don't believe that using oil and gas and such as we do is devastating to planet Earth anyway. I think the whole global warming thing is a bunch of nonsense. And so uh, to me, I couldn't care less. And if I can throw this in too, oil and gas, it's not like we have a finite amount and then it's going to be gone because we only have what was produced 500 million years ago. Uh, no, oil and gas on this earth has been produced for the last 6,000 years of creation and we continue to produce more oil and gas naturally in right. the earth. So we have a continuing ongoing supply. We can keep on using oil and gas until Jesus returns and it will not break my heart. I couldn't care less whether we do, whether we don't. I just wanted to be smart and save money. So that's how I tell to look at it, but Neil, your thoughts? Well, I've got a whole bunch of thoughts, and I've got a question for John in just a second if I remember what it is, but, um, but you know, I mean, I remember 1970, I think it was the first Earth Day, or the first one I remember. I was in about fifth grade or something, and uh, everyone was talking about saving the planet. You remember the the commercial with the Native American Indian with a tear yes. running down his face, right. that whole thing? Okay, so it was like... Who wasn't days. even a Native American, you mean? Yeah, right. Right. The actor, Italian. right. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so, <laughs> sorry. Um, sorry. Uh, well, it's the truth. I mean, let's just speak the truth here, right? But um, Which would be very politically incorrect to use that actor today. Yes. Wouldn't be, sorry, that'd yeah. be a triggering thing to use that actor yes, today. Yes, be canceled, yes. for sure. Right. But, um, okay, so, I mean, obviously there are concerns about taking care of the earth. And as Christians, I said this a minute ago, I mean, this is the earth that God created. Agree. And that we're supposed to, you know, be, uh, good, be good steward. stewards of it. That's right. right. Okay. Which, which, so, which has to be asked, what does that mean? How do you define being a good steward of the earth? I, I don't think, I don't think driving an SUV and filling up my gas tank on an ozone action day is being a bad steward of the earth. Agree. Bob, why do you have to cause so much trouble? I, just, I know. I, don't think, I know. All right, but let me just get to the question because I forgot what else I was going to say. And John, seriously, because you own an electric vehicle or mm -hmm. something similar. I do. Okay, so. Full electric. People way smarter than me obviously would have an answer for this, but I'm actually just asking the question. Um, if, if, you know, middle income and up, wealthier 
people are able to afford such vehicles, great. They can they can have a charging station in their home. Mm-hmm. I'd be terrified if it wasn't a hybrid vehicle that could recharge itself. I would think you know with some gas power. And, oh, you have range anxiety, it. Neil. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, right. But I mean, if, if you go on a long trip, how far is it going to be before the next charging station? So you worry about that. But but yep. here's a different question: What about inner city people who don't have a place to park the cars, or you know, like in, in small you, you, neighborhoods in New York great, City and stuff, where you're parking example. three blocks away? Yep. How do you charge your vehicle? How does that even you don't, work? You're not you're not going to. Or you're going to go find a charge station. Of course, that's part of this big push, and which I don't believe in, by the way, where they want to put charge stations in all across the the country. We we didn't do that with gas stations. We shouldn't be doing it with electric EV charge stations either. Let the free market handle that. Right. If people want them and they want to put them in, and a company can do that and be successful and they can make money off of it, then so be it. But to your point, Neil, you know it, it is a a middle class and upper car. Reason being, first of all, these are things they won't tell you. By the way, those of us that live in cold weather, you you know all three of us, by the way. Today, you know, we'll, we won't get out of the 20s here in Colorado. My normal Chevy Bolt EV vehicle on a nice warm day is 280 mile range. Today, it'll be 170 if I'm lucky. It drops that much when it gets this cold out. So the range really? is a significant loss when it's cold, which again, no one in the media will tell you these things. And to mm-hmm. your point, Neil, yes, you you have to be able to plan your commute. Your, and my reason, point being, the reason why this is not a car for everyone is you need another car. If I'm going to go take a long road trip or I'm going to head up the mountains west and go anywhere up there doing anything else besides what I would do here locally, you're going to have to have another vehicle because the one I own to commute back and forth to the station in isn't going to cut it. Yeah, and that's why I don't think any of this is actually practical. At it's least not. not now. Yeah. But the American people don't realize that. I mean, we, we've been No, they're being told. sold a bill of goods. They're being right. told that it is when, in fact, it's not. John, why'd you buy an EV? Again, just I'm a tech guy. I love technology. I want to see what it's all about. I'm a car guy as well. I do my show on Saturday, by the way, Drive Radio, where we get folks to call in about all sorts of different questions, things that we're even covering right now on this podcast. And I wanted to be... Uh, how do I want to say this? I wanted to be up on all the technology, how it works, the ins and outs of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything. And I will tell you guys the good side of it, it's the funnest car I actually own, and I'm not exaggerating. The acceleration in this thing is like none other. It literally is like driving a little sports car because there's no engine to have to wind up, per se. The minute you put your your you know your foot on the foot feet, if you would, the accelerator pedal, it takes off. I mean, this thing is a little rocket ship. That's the one thing about it I love. There's a lot of other cons about it that I don't love, but you know, all in all, for me personally and how I use it, it works tremendous. But you know, I'm a guy that's got multiple other cars I can go drive if I need to on a bad weather day or if I'm going to go take a trip. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm making a note to myself here to buy a $55,000 car so I can be better prepared for the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I know, exactly. It's wow. like, man, oh man. And, and, my and, go- and, and, and real quick, Neil, to your point, you know, most of these are, are not sold in the $20,000 range. In fact, the one I bought is one of the cheaper EVs you can buy. And, and that car is still around forty grand. By the time you get some of your rebates and stuff off of it, some of your credits and such, it's still in the low 30s. I mean, these are not cheap endeavors to mm-hmm. go out and buy. You know, this is an expensive deal. And by the way, for anybody out there listening, please hear me out on this. Anybody that goes and buys a car to save money on fuel is a moron. There is no such thing. I'm a car guy. I've done this my entire life. There is no such thing as spending money on a new car to save money. It doesn't work that way, folks. 
All right. But how long do those things last? I mean, will they last as long? Because you know, typically you buy another car, a, a regular uh, engine car, and it's going you know, to probably die out 10, 12 years or so. You get 250, 300,000 miles, and that's These about, about the life the you're getting that, out of that, it. That part they've Is got it? pretty well dialed in. They'll run that long. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, let's do this. Now, so, now, so, now, and, and, we, and I know we got break real quick, but one thing, too, that, to add to that, they're not maintenance-free like the, that's the other bill of goods they're selling you on. They're not maintenance-free, and they're tire eaters. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, short break. We'll spend our last few minutes together next here on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Dr. Michael Yusuf leads the way for people living in spiritual darkness to discover the light of Jesus Christ. This tremendous outreach begins with the proclamation of God's Word through the uncompromising biblical teaching of Dr. Michael Yusuf. Leading the Way is here to equip and strengthen the church to stand strong and to advance the gospel in today's ever-changing world. Listen to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Yusuf at ltw.org listen, and be sure to mention you heard about their program on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Spending our last few minutes here on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast with uh, Neil and John, myself, Bob, Roger will be back with us next week. We've been talking all things energy. So guys, let's go ahead as we, as we wind down the episode today. Let's bring it back then to uh, the, the big issues that's going on geopolitically and where we go from here uh, and, and how important it is for us to pay attention to this as far as elections go because it does seem as though we've got to look at what's happening with, with Russia right now and Ukraine and the effect that that's having on oil and gas. But, and I know this is a little off the energy issue, but we've got Xi Jinping. You know he's eyeballing Taiwan right now. Oh, yes. Uh, And and we've got to recognize, I mean, you you talk about inflation that we're experiencing all over the place, including certainly in energy right now. Well, I submit to you, if we let Xi Jinping take over Taiwan, we're going to be experiencing this kind of explosion in electronic and tech inflation in this country. Because people don't realize... Smartphones. Most of the smartphones that we're all using come out of Taiwan. Okay, a lot of the chips, manufacturing chips, and electronic chips are coming out of Taiwan. That tiny little island does so much exporting of electronics around the world into the United States. If China takes them over, uh, this is going to have a major effect on all of us as well. So, uh, John, your thoughts on this, that what we're experiencing right now, the pain at the pump and the pain with heating your home in the winter, uh, wait until you see what cell phones cost five years from now if Taiwan is taken over by Xi Jinping. Bob, almost every single thing we touch today has some sort of an electronic chip in it, from your right. oven to your to your furnace, by the way, that's, that's right. turning on and heating your home right now, to you name it. There is a chip in virtually every single thing we use, including your automobile, and you are correct, Bob. If we, if we allow that to happen and they take over, not only do they own the majority of the rare earth metals, they would, they would own the majority of the chip manufacturing that's in the right. world, and that would be painful for us in the U.S., it would be huge. And by the way, serious national security implications, right. too. I find it interesting that Donald Trump was also mocked and ridiculed regarding energy, saying that the, the, the things such as energy and not giving this kind of leverage to Vladimir Putin is a national security issue. But he also, remember, when talking about the oil, the, the, uh, the, the steel and aluminum tariffs right. to China, he said, look, this is a national security issue because we don't want to find ourselves with a weakened steel and, and uh, steel industry. So 
that if we find ourselves in a war, we don't want to be dependent upon China and other nations. So this is about national security. And my goodness, uh, when we talk about uh, chips, uh, electronic chips, computer chips, and technology, uh, you're right. That is connected to everything, including our military equipment as well. And so this is it is a national it's security a issue that That's we right. not allow Xi Jinping to say, hey, uh, Vladimir did it. I can do it, too, with Taiwan. So, Yeah, this is uh, a dry run for Taiwan, I believe. Right. It, well, it is. And so, Neil, what do we what do we do about that? If you were in the White House advising uh, the president right now, what would you say regarding China? How do we how do we let Xi Jinping know? Uh, don't even think about it. We will not allow this to happen a second time. How do we do that practically? Well, I would say President Rush. Uh, I think you need to get on the phone right now with <laughs> Xi Jinping. No, I, I mean, here's. The thing, we can't do a lot about it. I, I believe that as the United States could, we, we could play a major role in all of this. But ultimately, uh, I think you're 100% right that Xi Jinping is looking at Taiwan and that we're probably going to see this kind of thing happen again. I don't think that Vladimir Putin plans to stop with the Ukraine. I think he wants to rebuild the entire former Soviet Union. So I think that we're going to see more of this than future. Question is, are we going to have the political or moral willpower, fortitude to get involved and do something about it. And currently, I don't see that happening. So I think we ought to begin preparing for what the future is going to look like if, in fact, these things come to pass. And by the way, I think there's biblical implications there, too. And I, I'm not a end times Bible prophecy guru or anything. I've heard several pastors talking about what's going on in the world right now. But the reality is, you know, technology in general, it's a wonderful thing. I'm not anti-technology. But technology also makes us more vulnerable. Because, John, you're right. There's chips in everything. There's digital footprints left everywhere. Yep. Um, You know, with Russian interference, supposedly, in our elections, or at least the potential for hacking that we see sometimes happening to our individual computers or to entire companies, uh, our data, you know, being swiped up by people in other parts Mm -hmm. of the world. Like, for as much benefit as it's brought us, it's also made us incredibly vulnerable. And mm-hmm. I just think I feel I kind of feel like the frog in a pot of water at first. It's like, wow, it's kind of cold in here. And then, yeah, it's kind of nice. Things are warming up a little bit, not realizing what's coming in the end. And so it's why I really want to continue and, and double down on the reality that we need to be telling people about Jesus and where our future hope is. Because I don't know about you guys, but it feels like I've got a snow shovel and there's an avalanche coming. Like that, yeah. that, that we can do yeah. a few things. But we can't do everything, and in some ways, we just need to know that our hope is is beyond ourselves. It's in Christ. Right. Yeah, very true. Really quick, one last thing, Bob. Maybe we can talk about this next week, because I'm getting so many comments from different listeners and so on, and I just want to make sure that I go on the record as saying this. Uh, Putin is not our friend. There's a lot of Christians, I think, out there even that think, oh, well, you know, he's going against the New World Order, and he's doing this, and he's doing that, and this is part of prophecy. Back to Neil's point a moment ago. Guys, I just want to make sure I'm on the record as saying he's not our friend, and I'm not on his side. That's right. Absolutely. And by the way, when we're talking about Taiwan as well, uh, Neil, I certainly agree with you. There's no doubt that Putin wants to rebuild the old Soviet Union. He wants to go beyond Ukraine. It's just Ukraine, first stop, and then where he goes from there. So on one hand, yes, we, we, we definitely want to stop him from rebuilding the Soviet empire. But in the immediate 
emergency sense, the, the direct impact on the United States is much, much stronger uh, if Xi Jinping takes over Taiwan than if Vladimir Putin now expands onto Moldova. Okay, I mean, if he takes over Moldova, that's bad, but that doesn't directly impact us as much as what we're seeing with Ukraine and certainly what would happen with Taiwan as well. So, uh, all right, I'll tell you what, so much stuff happening and it's another National Crawford Roundtable podcast in the bank. We appreciate all of you folks listening. Remember, you can catch all of the uh, episodes of the podcast at crawfordmediagroup.net or wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. You can watch the video of the podcast if you want to see our lovely faces at myhopenow.com. And so we appreciate you uh, folks all listening. As always, we always appreciate your five-star reviews as well. And uh, we'll have Roger Marsh back with us next week. In the meantime, Neil Boron, John Rush, myself, Bob Duco, John, Neil, great catching up with you. Look forward to next week. Likewise, guys. You bet. We'll see you. Thanks for listening, everybody. God bless. You've been listening to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, a biblical view of culture, current events, and politics. Thanks for joining us. The first half of the podcast can be heard each week on this Crawford Media Group station. You can download and subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. Apple users can rate the podcast, and we'd appreciate your five-star rating. The National Crawford Roundtable podcast returns with a new discussion each week. This is a Crawford Media Group production.